Hello, it's Peter Ryan, Kathleen Beauvais with another episode of The Yacking Show. This is a show that brings you business tips and ideas to help you in your business, and it also brings you tips and ideas in health and lifestyle, and we have a guest that covers both areas today, but I don't want to steal Kathleen's thunder, so let's first introduce co-host Kathleen. Hi, Kathleen. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Peter. Thank you so much. And thank you all so very much for tuning into our show. We so appreciate you. And as Peter mentioned, we do have another special guest with us today. We have the great privilege of welcoming Corrine Phelps to the show. Now, Corrine is a speaker and hypnotherapist. And now get this, she specializes in revealing the limiting beliefs and subconscious narratives that dictate and shape behavior. Are you intrigued? I am. Hello, Corinne. Welcome to the show. How are you? Oh, my goodness. I am fantastic, and I'm so excited to be here. Well, let's just jump right in, Corinne. What is the biggest factor preventing people from achieving their greatest potential? Mm, uh, it's usually somewhere hidden deep inside of their subconscious mind. So it's it's rooted in a lot of times worthiness, uh, belief in ourselves, and it, it all stems from basically our childhood, to be honest. Mm. And how does it manifest when we say limiting beliefs that are deeply subconscious? So on a conscious level, somebody really wants something bad. They want to succeed and they're trying and they're trying and trying. Somehow it's just not happening for them. Would that be an example of maybe a subconscious belief holding them back? And what does that look like exactly? Yeah, absolutely. So a little, I guess a little, give a little context. We set goals and we set them with our conscious mind, right? And so we can say, I want the multi-million dollar business. I want the thriving relationship. I want the health. I want the body, whatever it is, your desire, right? Like those are like our, usually our top core desires, right? And we really do want them. But then we have our subconscious mind and your conscious mind, when we set the goals, that's the goal setter, right? But then your your subconscious mind is the goal getter. And we oftentimes mm -hmm. have this sort of split energy between the beliefs. And I, I, I like to use money because I think it's an easy one for everyone to wrap their head around. Sure. So let's just say you decide you want to make $10,000 a month. Great. That's an amazing goal. We want to make 10K a month. We set the goal. Our conscious mind is like, okay, let's do it. And then you, your subconscious is going to set out to go get it. But maybe you've experienced uh, either failure around trying this goal before, or potentially maybe you set this goal before and you experienced burnout. And so there are these things that are connected to your subconscious mind, like, oh, I'm going to have to sacrifice a lot. Uh, maybe there's a of something connected to worthiness. And so it's like, I'm not sure that I'm worthy of receiving the $10,000 that I really want to make. Maybe it's, oh, I'm going to have to to give up time with family. It's going to be really hard. Whatever these beliefs are, and these are all very common that we mm -hmm. kind of almost like universally tend to have. So there's this disconnect between your subconscious mind and your conscious mind in this goal. So you're going to go and you're going to take all the conscious brain efforts to make that 10K. But then in the background, you're going to hit this sort of glass ceiling or this brick wall. Maybe you start to make some progress 
and then we stop because all of a sudden you're inside your, your subconscious mind, which I'll preface is actually connected to your nervous system, which is connected to the thing that wants to keep us safe. And it's really from primal times, it's rooted in survival. And all of a sudden there's this threat to safety AKA limiting belief. And then we stop doing mm-hmm. the things that we need to do in order to have th- achieve the goal. Oh, fascinating. Mm. Into very, very. So here's one for you. And um, obviously this is an unfair question to ask you from a personal point of view, yeah. but if in your, in your studies and your reading, would you say that the limiting beliefs people suffer from now have changed significantly in the last say 60 years or, or not really? Oh, in the last 60 years? No. Well, I would say a lot of our current limiting beliefs came from 60 years ago. Uh, So they're probably, I would say they're probably the same because Mm -hmm. on a primal level, when you start to peel them all down, essentially our limiting beliefs are, are like universally similar. Okay. All right. Perhaps I didn't phrase the question well. Um, That's a good answer. But what I'm looking at is if I, I'm, 70, right? So if I go back to my childhood in the late 50s, 60s, when I was a teenager, I just feel, and this might be this old story of everything was better when we were kids type thing, but I I generally feel that people didn't strive so much then, but still seem to succeed. Uh, Life seemed to be simpler, but people seemed to do well. Um, I don't know. You know what I'm trying to get at? I there do. didn't seem to be this agonizing over, I, I, I can't do it, I'm not good enough. Um, people got on with it, and it, it didn't seem to be as big a problem. That's why I asked you, what's changed in 60 years? I do think that, years? I think everything is exacerbated. I think that those things, yeah. prob- those feelings were there, but it right. was easier to move beyond them because, yes. you know, the social medias were not around yeah, back then. That's, that's uh, right. The, the connection to television, it was different. The media that we did experience and the shows that we saw and the kind like news isn't the way that it was back, you know, mm-hmm. back that mm-hmm. time, you know, in that era, completely, yeah. just completely different. So our access to so many things, we're consistently, constantly being bombarded with a lot of negative things on a very daily basis. Mm-hmm. And so I think that you never get that moment or reprieve, whereas right. in different times, there was this space to move through it. And so I think yes. now what happens is as you maybe start to move through something, you get hit with something else and you sure. get hit with something else. So for your capacity and bandwidth to move through something and maybe even kind of start to repattern and reprogram your subconscious on your own through sort of different grounding techniques that were just intuitive in human nature mm-hmm. that we all kind of already know how to do. We just don't do them because we don't get up from our desk. We, so I think that's, I think the difference. So I don't yeah. know if the beliefs are different. It's the lifestyle is different. Lifestyle. Too. And, and just thinking about that, what I, what suddenly reminded me is that uh, aspirations weren't as high in those days because yes people went to the movies and saw the lifestyle of the rich and famous but they didn't see it every day on as you've just mentioned on television right Mm -hmm. and you didn't certainly I came up in a British culture you didn't have a lot of people saying yes you can earn a million bucks and yes you can have a huge house Uh, it was all very much understated so there wasn't the pressure perhaps for that so anyway thank you good answers that's cute Kathleen so, so Corrine, what are some of the most common subconscious beliefs and how would one overcome those? 
you talked about money, but uh, what are the most, what are the other common ones are there? So I think I, what I see a lot in high achievers and, and entrepreneurs is one, there's a fear of being seen, vis- like visibility. So, you know, to grow a business, mm-hmm. especially if we're talking in that realm, we have to be able to put ourselves out there. Mm-hmm. And I think because of the high stakes of putting yourself out there, kind of, we we're just talking about that whole idea of social media, right? The stakes are so much higher. Things don't go away. If you say something, you make a mistake, it is out there forever. So there's this big fear of being seen. And I mean, cancel culture has definitely brought a whole nother level of that. Like you say the wrong thing and life is over as you knew it for you if you happen to make a mistake, right? So there's this big fear of visibility and connected to that oftentimes is it's a sense of worthiness and things that come up around that. It's the comparison also exacerbated Mm -hmm. by, by social media. And then oftentimes underneath of that, which really comes this is where I think money gets tied into it. There's such an emotional connection, right? And business is personal. So there's this perfectionism that comes up too, right? Everything has to be perfect. And when we're there, we don't take action. And there's like so many multifaceted things that come up around that as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how would anybody begin to, to dig this out and get rid of that belief? Wow. So the first place is a level of awareness, right? It's coming into presence and just trying to get into your own body so that you know what your thoughts are, right? Because your, your subconscious mind is, is always running. It never takes a rest. And we're all in this go-go hyper-connected world. We tend to be on this level of autopilot. So we're not even aware of the thoughts that we're having. So you can't start to change on a subconscious level until you start to actually hear what those thoughts are. And then when you start to have them, it's starting to question them and say, is this true? Where did this come from? Oh, fascinating. Right. I mean, I'm listening, I'm listening to you because I I could talk about this uh, for hours but I mean, each person listening to this could probably relate to some limiting belief, you know, mm-hmm. I'm good enough, or I don't think I can make this happen. You know, this is such a grand goal that I, I don't think we can make this happen. You know, like, I mean, even for yourself, right, Peter, I mean, it's, we, we all have them. It's just, it's, do we have to rationalize with our subconscious minds on this? How do you... <laughs> <laughs> it's not really irrational. I don't it's, know. It's yeah, it's it's checking in with the language too, because when you start to bring this awareness to what's going on, you're gonna start to notice the words that you use and the words that we use, even the silent ones inside your head, are mm-hmm. really, really powerful and really, really important. Maybe even more so than the ones that you say out loud or the ones that you hear from other people. Mm. Okay, so the first mm-hmm. step is just acknowledging that these beliefs are there or determining what they are exactly within yourself. I mean, it, it requires a lot of self-reflection too, doesn't it? Um, and then Absolutely. once you acknowledge, okay, this is where this comes from. Now what? Now, now that I'm able to identify them, where do we go from there? And you get to release the emotional charge around that because 
those thoughts that you are having, mm-hmm. unless you've gone in and done the kind of reprogramming work, I they're probably not yours. They were given to you. You absorbed them from mm-hmm. somewhere mm-hmm. else. And that typically is so our subconscious mind is formed from zero to seven. And think of your subconscious mind like a library that stores every experience, every thought, every feeling, every single one, even though you consciously might not remember it. Think of it like this library that just keeps getting bigger, 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 bigger. The structure of that library was built from zero to seven. And so to change that structure, we have to go in and consciously make that structure ours. And during that time when we were a child, they came from things like our parents, our caregivers, our teachers, our friends on the playground, all those kind of life experiences, the things that we saw on television, we heard on the radio, whatever it happens to be, that all gets stored in there. And then those are the things that create these cycles, these patterns, these thought loops Mm -hmm. that we actually have. And a lot of times those don't necessarily make sense with what's going on here in your current day reality. So that's that part of really being able to say like, where did this come from? And letting your subconscious reveal that to you, because it will, when you ask these kind of questions of yourself and you start to, to notice, oh, that happened. Like I came from that, that thing on the playground when I was like in kindergarten. Oh, that doesn't make sense that it's playing out here in my business, but it is okay. Well, that wasn't even my thought or my feeling. It was given to me. Now I can start to release the emotional charge around that experience to then change how that, how you play out that dynamic in your current, mm-hmm. like adult life. Wow. Okay. Wow. So I was going to ask you, which is more important nature or nurture, but if you're saying that the structure of your library is formed from zero to seven, then uh, that's not a very relevant question. But that raises another one. If the structure is formed by the time you're seven, as you continue to grow and mature and, and hopefully gain more experience, well, you do gain more experience, do the new, using your library analogy, do the new books that go into that library uh, follow the same, get put into the right categorization according to the structure that was set when you were seven? Or do they form new links? Good question. So you can build a whole new library, right? It doesn't mean that your memories or experiences go away. That's a piece of that releasing that emotional charge. But our brain has something called neuroplasticity. And Mm -hmm. that is, we get to change it, right? So this is part of when you say subconscious reprogramming, it's operating on the idea of neuroplasticity, creating new, like the neurons that fire together, wire together. You probably heard that saying Mm -hmm. before. So as we become consciously aware, we get to create these new neural pathways, which become the structure of your library, which now gets to change how we show up today. Okay. Let's just extend that one a little bit. So take the playground incident when you're six and because a bully pushes you off the swing, you lose your pocket money that you were going to spend at the tuck shop to buy whatever for lunch. And that, So that's one little book, a very small book, but it goes into the section in the library dealing with money and finance. And then you start your own business and money's tight and uh, you have some financial problems and that creates another book that goes next to the first one on the shelf of the library. Is that, and then the two work together in concert to add to the problem. Does it work like that? Or is is that just too much of a simplification? No. So then you basically, what happens there is you have this this groove and it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper, right? So then the work to rewire it, sometimes it can be just easy like that when Mm -hmm. you identify it. 
but typically it's repetition. So anything that okay. we think over and over and over again, or we feel over and over and over again, creates these grooves, creates this, you know, the neurons connecting and firing together. And so the work around subconscious reprogramming, rebuilding that library is this, you know, repetition of creating a new thought and thinking okay. it over mm-hmm. and feeling into it. So it doesn't have to be like dictate everything. Those books get to stay there, but then they won't have the same charge and you get okay. to write new ones. Right. Right. I'm with you. Sorry, Kathleen, can I just ask Corinne yeah. one more? Is it relatively easy for people to do this on their own or do they to do it properly? They really need someone like you to, to walk them through it. You know, that's, I think, a, a twofold question because, yes, you can absolutely do it on your own. Mm-hmm. But the reason why people like myself or coaches exist is because when we work with someone, the process tends to be a lot faster, the collapsing right. of time. So brain surgeons don't do brain surgery on themselves. That's the thing I always say. That's yeah, true. Absolutely right. So how, do you, how would you bring the hypnotherapy into this? So I actually use two things. I actually use breath work and I use hypnotherapy. Sometimes I use them in conjunction, hypno breath work, or I just do hypnotherapy. And it's so essentially it's a six phase process that I go through with my clients. One is connecting and finding. We usually work on one thing. I guess I should start with that. It's not like we go in and it's just like the wild, wild west of reprogramming. We decide, okay, I'm struggling with this one thing. Let's, let's look at what that one thing is, connect it to where it's coming from, see that original memory and thought where it came from, and then using some techniques with one of them, it's called timeline therapy, which is based in NLP, which is neuro-linguistic programming. We start to witness and see that event. That's where we release that emotional charge. And then hypnotherapy is actually the place where we open the door to your subconscious mind. And when we open the door to your subconscious mind, we actually start to, uh, it's open for suggestion, right? And so that's really what hypnotherapy is. Hypnotherapy is a lot like meditation, but with a very specific goal in mind. And so we just start to create a suggestion of a new way of being, a new way of thinking. And so with hypnotherapy, It usually takes about six sessions and there's studies done on this six sessions of hypnotherapy with one specific focus in mind has a 93% success rate. Wow. That is remarkable. Yeah. Really is remarkable. Well, let's, um, let's change our focus for a little moment uh, for a moment and get to know you a little bit better. Uh, tell us how you went from a career in real estate to becoming a hypnotherapist and coach. Oh my goodness. Sit down. How much time do you have? No, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll give you the, the short story. So I actually had my daughter when I was in college. So I was really, really young when I had her and I ended up in a career in real estate because somebody told me that's what I needed to do to make enough money to be able to be a single mom and pay for all of the things. And so I set off in my twenties doing that, but it really wasn't in line with what I desired to do with my life. And while I reached a, a good amount of success in that career, I woke up most days and I was miserable. And from that place, I just kept saying to myself, like, this is not the the example I want to show my daughter as someone who mm-hmm. sh- who's like miserable in their career and kind of is walking around a little angry all the time. And that's how I felt. It was, you know, a high stress job. And I had gone to school and I'd studied nutrition and I decided, you know what, I really just want to get back to 
in, in line with what I had intended to do with my life. So I was literally in a Pilates class one day and I was like, I love this. This is amazing. I could do this. And so I literally in that moment decided I was going to start teaching Pilates and coaching nutrition for my clients. And I shut the doors to my business. And when I say I shut them in real estate, it was like burned it down today. I'm selling real estate tomorrow. I'm in a Pilates class and, and, uh, I'm signed up for, to go through a training, a certification to teach that quickly. So off I, off I went, dove in and realized that a lot of the problems that I was experiencing in real estate were the same problems I was experiencing in now my Pilates business. And I also quickly learned that just teaching wasn't going to support my lifestyle either. So I opened a brick and mortar business and I will preface this too with when I was in real estate, I experienced burnout and a few years into my fitness and wellness business, I experienced burnout again. And I don't, I I'm really hard headed. So it takes me a lot of times to learn lessons apparently, <laughs> because I somehow like think I can muscle through this was all stuff that came from my subconscious. Right. So this kind of started my curiosity of trying to harness like your innate potential inside of you and how you could bring that forth, which led me to NLP and it led me to hypnotherapy. So I started using hypnotherapy in my fitness and wellness business. I was also at this time coaching Uh, other entrepreneurs, how they could start to build businesses. So I was doing, I don't, I had a lot of irons in the fire and again, I ended up in burnout. I literally walked into a hospital because I thought I was having a heart attack at the age of 38. Wow. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the doctor came in and he's like, mm, it's it's not a heart attack. I think you're having a panic attack. I was like, a panic attack? He's like, yeah, I actually think that you are in complete burnout. I think your adrenals are completely taxed. My hormones were completely out of whack. Actually, at this point, my hair was falling out. And... I was just a complete mess. And this was my moment of, okay, something has to change. So I clearly wasn't embodying all of the things that I needed to embody. I was helping Mm -hmm. people over here, but over here, I wasn't doing all of the things I needed to do. Like, I'll get to that later. I'll deal with that later. I'll feel that later. And this was my moment. And so inside of that, I started really doing the work and understanding about the nervous system, how to regulate your nervous system, how your subconscious mind is part of your nervous system, how we can't really escape stress, having the impact on our body like this, unless we learn how to show up and be resilient in the face of stress. And that really brought me, brought me to breath work and merging hypnotherapy and breath work together and doing the work that I do today, which is helping entrepreneurs regulate their nervous system so that they can show up in their businesses, in their lives, and actually have the income, have the business, have the relationship, have the health and do it from a place of ease and flow. Ah, that is yeah, quite amazing. They're in the, in the burnout phase for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Three times. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So when you talk about regulating the nervous system, this is what you do. How how effectively can one regulate one's nervous system? Well, there's lots of different ways. And your subconscious mind, we're talking about the, all the reprogramming, is part of that nervous system. Okay. So it all works together. And it really, it starts with a few things. It's learning how to 
get in your body, right? So we tend to be looking at screens all day long. We tend to not get up and move your body. We don't do all of the things that we used to do, getting mm -hmm. outside, putting your feet on the earth, taking a walk, breathing deeply is a very big piece of that, not getting enough sleep. And inside of that, we all have these other bad habits. Like we have alcohol, which dysregulates us and keeps us from getting good sleep. So there's a lot of different things, but I would say if someone is listening and they're like, Ooh, maybe I'm a little bit dysregulated. Maybe I'm in that like a uh, place of stress. One of the first things that you can do, it, it's called orienting and it's a really easy thing. You can do it anywhere you are. And it's literally listening with your left ear for a second and just hearing what you hear with your left side. Then it's Maybe pick out two, three sounds that you happen to notice. And then it's on your right side, listening to some sounds that you might hear on, on the other side. Then it's checking your environment and noticing three items that are in your environment, like taking the time to like actually see them, noticing the color, noticing where it is, how it's situated. And then it's maybe reaching out and touching three items. So basically what that does, it puts you where you're where you are, your head, your heart, your feet, all in the same place. And that's mm -hmm. really what we tend, what tends to keep us dysregulated is that your mind's in one place, your heart's in another, and neither one of them are actually where your feet are. Right. So in, in other words, interesting, present, learning to be present. Yes. When Not we, yes. When we come into a present place in our body, right. it's really hard to be experiencing massive amounts of stress when we actually get into our body and are present. Because when we're experiencing high levels of stress, unless you've experienced some sort of catastrophic thing that's happened, like a car accident, the stress that we're experiencing has usually something to do with its fear of the future and or anxiety about something that's happened in the past. But when we get really where we are, then you can start to eliminate those those sensations and feelings in the body. And that brings that pause. And once we can get that pause, you can start to make more clear and rational decisions. Right. So I'm sorry, let me jump in. You talk about three, three and three and the power of three. It comes up so much in all sorts of things. The power of three, right? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, your, oh, sorry, Peter. No, I wanted to jump in with a very quick one. Um, and that was um, when you talk of resilience, if somebody goes through a really stressful situation and gets through it and recovers, are they better placed and do they have more resilience for the next really stressful situation? Is it incremental or not necessarily? You know, I would say yes and no. Because resilience, yes, you have built okay. that capacity, like, okay, I did that hard thing, I survived that thing. But also, resilience has to do with how we respond to stress in the moment. So you might have survived a crazy yes. traumatic thing, right? And then we start going on, and we just cumulative life stress, if we're not doing the things in our body to continuously manage that stress, it's not just a given because you have survived one really big stressful event, that 
you're going to expand that capacity for more. In fact, you might be predisposed to be more susceptible to experience stress because then we're getting into like some really mental health kind of things like PTSD and things like that, right? So you kind of get stuck in that experience. So nervous system regulation and resilience, because those terms get put together a lot, right, is essentially it's a lifestyle. It is a long game. Mm -hmm. It's something that we get to practice every single day. And when we practice it every single day, we do expand our capacity to handle it. Okay, good. Thank you. Back to you, Kathleen. Sorry, I jumped in there. That's all right. You probably have touched on this already, but on your website, you mentioned three things that are blocking you from dropping into a state into a flow state. Can you mm-hmm. tell us about that? Yeah. So flow state, interchangeable terms. I love to kind of like clear this all out. So flow state is the same as being in a ventral state in your nervous system. And if we could even go down a spiritual sense of like what that means too. But so a flow state is basically when we are in the present moment. So if we are experiencing fear or anxiety, that is going to block you from experiencing flow. And if we're experiencing massive amounts of stress in a negative kind of way. So stress isn't bad, but it is bad if we a perceive it bad or mm-hmm. we don't know how to respond to it. Okay. Okay. So the state of flow you're talking about, is that similar to, as, as a marathon runner, I experience what in running terms we, we call them the runner's high a mm-hmm. couple of times and, and an absolute brilliant state where it's just, just wonderful. Is is that similar to the flow you're talking about? Absolutely. So flow state is okay. essentially this, it's the sort of that uh, utopian sort of place that we all want to be yeah. in, in the human yeah. experience. You experience it in running, you experience it in a creative standpoint, essentially. And what ha- is happening in that runner's high runner's flow or flow when you experience it in other places, it's literally a release of neurotransmitters in your brain. It's like a cocktail party happening in your brain. Mm-hmm. And it's released through a multitude of different factors that get get you there. Like when you hit it in a, in the runner's high context, I don't care who you are. You can be an ultra marathoner. When we first start out running, the first mile is usually stinks for everyone. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter who you are. You can be an elite athlete. The first, the first mile that has like the suck factor, right? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That is actually something to a hit flow, we have to be able to push through the hard, right? right? So there has to be an element of challenge, but it can't be so hard that we get frustrated and it makes us feel mm-hmm. like a failure. It has to be in line with something that's connected to our purpose. So if you're a runner, that's connected to your purpose, something that you absolutely love. You hit that challenge and you push through it. And on the other side of that challenge is when we access that state of flow. But if we have subconscious blocks going on, like our ability to push through something that's challenging and hard, then we don't have the belief in ourselves to actually push through the hard. So we can't get over to that side of flow state. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Good one. Excellent. Well, 
we're running yes we out are of time unfortunately uh, but i know you have a burning question i've got my burning question <laughs> ask all our successful guests and <clears throat> with business guests we are slightly differently but what i'd like to know corinne in your experiences there is there a single characteristic mindset habit that sets people who live healthy balanced lives apart from those who are suffering from stress and and don't achieve their potential is there one thing or is it a lot more complicated I think that it can be very simple and it comes down to that whole idea of and concept, which I'm sure you guys have explored before is around a growth mindset, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we have a growth mindset, we feel that we have the control we have, we have locus of control. We are the ones that are radically responsible for creating that change. And when you operate from that place, your perception of stress is completely different. And mm -hmm. that's really the critical factor in all of all of this. It's what we believe about stress is how we respond to it. If we right. think it's bad, we're going to respond badly to sure. it. If sure. we see stress as basically an opportunity to rise to the occasion, then that's what will also happen. Mm -hmm. Great. Wonderful. Thank you for that. Well, Karina, how do people contact you? Oh, you know, you can find me on my website. You know, you can come right on over there. It's my name, Corrine Phelps. You can reach out through there directly. I think you can email me directly from there and I answer my own emails. Come say hello. Excellent. Oh my goodness. Well, we will do that. And for our audio listeners, that will that will be details of Corrine's website will be in the description. Well, thanks very much, Corrine. Well, Corrine, thank you so much for being on our show today. I really hope you come back um, I, again. I think we are just touching mm. the surface of this topic. It would be nice to delve in it a little bit deeper. So I hope you do come back. And Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for, for having me. I'd absolutely be overjoyed to come back. I mean, you, could, you couldn't even you couldn't yeah. shut me up, right? <laughs> well, that's wonderful. <clears throat> thank you so much. And really good. Yes, and thank you all so very much for tuning into our show. And once again, um, if you have any questions, please uh, feel free to um, respond to Corrine directly. And if anyone is interested in being a guest on our show, please visit us at theyackingshow.com. All you have to do is click on the Contacts tab where you will find a short application form, and we'd love to hear from you. So until next time, take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.